This episode is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Join Thrive Market today and get $80 in free groceries by going to thrivemarket.com slash no meat. This episode is also brought to you by our very own Complement Essential, the perfect complement to a plant-based diet with just the hard-to-get nutrients and nothing else, now coming in a 100% biodegradable pouch. Learn more at lovecomplement.com and use code NOMEAT at checkout to save $10 off your first order. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to No Meat Athlete Radio. <laughs> it's Doug Hay. We're pros Joined now. as always with Matt Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> Professional. Thank you, thank you. I'm doing all these lives now. That you know, I know, I know. I feel like we've upped our upped our game a little bit. We got to be a little more pro. Yeah, it feels different though. Now we can now we can just create a lot of editing work for you if we make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. we do whatever we want. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm hoping we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I think I don't know if everyone knows this. Obviously, they don't all. We've we've mentioned it a little bit when we were doing some Twitter space stuff. Uh, but recently, we have shifted some attention towards Instagram Lives, where kind of like Twitter Spaces, we just you know hit hit live, and then we're both on there, and we just talk and kind of do uh, a normal podcast-like show in a live setting, um, which is fun, and people can can comment, can you know even join in the live, which we haven't done yet, but but in theory that could happen. But anyway, it's fun. Uh, so far, we've been tr- trying to treat it like a you know kind of like a daily show with with quick, timely content. Uh, talking about headlines in the plant-based niche, largely, not entirely. Today we talked a little bit about how uh, how the meditation apps are are mm-hmm. you know hemorrhaging losers or <laughs> hemorrhaging users uh, and and losers based on my my outlook on meditation. I think it's yeah. uh, I think it might be a scam. No, this no, just no. in meditation a scam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know this is some, this is from someone from who has you've spent a lot of time trying to. Exactly, which, med- all, which gives skill. all the more credence to my uh, to my argument. That or, it work. or maybe the exact opposite, and this is just a disgruntled meditator, who, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> former meditator who was never able to make yeah. the the habit stick. That is possible, but I but not entirely because I have actually chosen to stop at certain times when I went went forty days and said just not getting the benefit. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah. Two thousand year old scam is what it is. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, um, I do not agree. Yeah, so we, so it's it's fun. Um, show up if you want to. If you want to come to those, follow at no meat athlete underscore official on Instagram. Uh, you could probably also follow real Matt Frazier or Rock Creek Runner, but no meat athlete official is the one that will will almost always do it. No meat athlete underscore official, um, and you'll get notified as soon as we go live, and then you can just hop in. Uh, and you won't be you won't jump in and be on camera or on microphone or anything like that. You'll just you'll just be a a, a text commenter if you want to be. Yes. So don't be afraid. Uh, anyway, but we the one trend so far, Doug. I think if there's if there's one thing we've discussed every single episode so far, every live thing we've done, we've probably done somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or ten live things now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's been vegan meat in every single one. I think I think you're right, and so much that we've actually began naming it the Vegan Meat Minute, even though it it ends up being multiple minutes because uh, 
for some reason we're just really drawn to that topic and i'd say <laughs> a regular <laughs> regular listeners of the podcast would probably not be all that surprised by that yeah i know but we did I, I, well so in fairness it it came up several times in a row because it's always in these headlines that we're pulling right like uh what are they i mean today you you mentioned that burger king in austria is now saying do you want do you want that normal or with meat when someone orders a burger uh which is a new i guess policy uh we talked about a vegan a vegan luncheon meat company which is which is basically spam is canned canned meat um i don't have high hopes for that one uh and I think we talked about it on the podcast, right? We had the Cracker Barrel thing with Impossible Cracker Sausage. Thing, yep. Uh-huh. Yep. But That's I think we come up a that... few times. Yeah. Anyway, and uh, so and then, you know, studies about the healthiness of, of plant meat. And I don't That's know. Right. Just, it, it seems yeah. to just keep coming up time and time again. And, <laughs> and, and I don't really know why. I mean, it naturally arose as something that kept showing up on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, there is a good reason for it. I'm sure if you would, if you would analyze the situation, uh, but I can't quite figure out what it is. I, so like, I got a theory okay. that, that just came to me. So I haven't, okay. I haven't vetted this Good. out yet. But <laughs> the best kind of theories are the ones that, yeah. that come yeah. without any, any, any real thought. Um, yes. And that is that, uh, not, well, not only is it just showing up in a lot of the headlines as we Google vegan right. news, uh, but also, you know, I think that the reason we like talking about it is because it so represents what's happening in the vegan movement right now. Uh-huh. Of, of like the the growth of it, but also kind of the pushback of that growth, and um, and how it's spreading, and um, you know, and and where like if it's people going fully vegan or if they're going, uh, you know, just flexitarian style and just choosing a vegan meal here and there. I don't know. I just think it represents kind of what's happening and what the general conversation around veganism. Yeah, and I so think that that's is, that's probably that's right. why we're drawn to it. Yeah, I think that's right, and it also. Uh, I mean, I've never consciously thought about this before, but like it's, it is something that I'm not gonna say it's interesting to everyone, but it applies to everyone, right? You can be vegan and, and still eat vegan meat now and then like we do. Uh, you could also be completely non-vegan, but just every now and then for whatever reason, want to try, you know, uh, an impossible Whopper. And, and that's yeah. kind of fascinating to me that that's happening. So perhaps that's what it is. Yeah. It's it unifies all, all diets. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if it does. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of stuff that we have been talking about, but it's, it's actually, you know, we've, we've done a little bit more serious stuff since then as well, right? Not, not just, not just that stuff. We talk about, I think we talked about bone health one day. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big one. We talked about, uh, <laughs> environment, uh, you know, let's see what else can we, can we name? We talked about, um, uh, a couple who decided not to get buried because, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because they couldn't agree on the menu. The, yeah, the groom, the groom. Yeah, they couldn't agree on the menu. Uh, so you know, really hard hitting stuff, but yeah, it's it fun. Is. It's a lot of fun. I think people are enjoying it. The comments are are fun to to read, and uh, and you get to see our faces now, which is different yeah. than the Twitter space one. So uh, check us out. Um, we have been. I, we should say to our our loyal fans who may or may not be super into this idea. That mm-hmm. um, this has been a focus for you and I over the last couple of weeks. We've been experimenting and playing around with that as just a new way to engage with people. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the the podcast is is going away, right? No, definitely not. And we're trying to figure out what kind of content to do in these live things. And I don't know. Hopefully, we'll find a way to to record typical podcast episodes in a live format where we're not having audience participation, where we're just doing a podcast and then we can broadcast it live, but also put it out. 
Um, or who knows, maybe we'll just go back to what we're what we're doing now. Although this is an interview episode, um, but you know, I think I still think we'll, there will be place for the typical Matt and Doug podcast episodes. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how how things evolved. Evolved. Yes. Yes. All right. So uh, today we've got an interview, and it's a it's a big name. I mean, fairly big name in the in the vegan athlete world. Megan Duhamel, who is an Olympic gold medalist, not too often that we get to to boast uh, an Olympic gold medalist, not just for the vegan movement, but but on our podcast. Uh, she was a gold medalist at the 2018 Games. Where were the 2018 Winter Games, Doug? You know? As I Olympic do not know. Guy? I have no idea. Sochi? I don't know. Let's, let's Google it. Let's figure it out. <laughs> anyway, she's a, she's a paraskater, Canadian um, paraskater, and she won a team gold medal. Uh Actually, fun fact about Megan Duhamel, I'm pretty sure it was Megan Duhamel who emailed me in 2014 uh, saying, hey, I'm a Nomad Athlete fan, and I'd like to wear one of your shirts at the Olympics. Uh, I don't know what Olympics those were. Um, and she wanted to wear them in the in the warm-ups while they were getting ready. Um, and I was very slow to respond and didn't get her one in time, I think. I think I did get her one, but it was, but it was not quite in time or something. So uh, missed opportunity there for Nomad Athlete. Huge missed opportunity. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Think about uh, where we could be right now. Um, oh, Pyeongchang, South Pyeongchang. Korea. That's right, South Korea. Okay. Good. Yep. Uh, good. Okay. Uh, yeah. Any more? Any additional setup we need to do, Doug? Or no? So this is an interview with uh, Matt Tolman hosted it, and uh, I get to listen to uh, much of it, and it's cool. It talks about her journey um, to become an Olympic athlete and and to win at the Olympics, and then also you know how the plant based diet factored into that, or and and she was vegan. You know this was uh, before, you know this was a few years ago before it was maybe as popular as it is now, and certainly among uh, her fellow teammates. So um, it's a it's a good one. I'm really excited uh, that she joined us for the podcast, and look forward to everyone hearing it. Very good. Should we do ads? Thank our lovely sponsors. Yeah, I think we should. Before we do the episode, we should we should thank our lovely sponsors. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. They carry all of your favorite clean, nutritious brands and don't clean out your wallet. Shop everything from ethically sourced pantry essentials to non-toxic cleaning and beauty products. And if you find a price lower elsewhere, they'll even match it. Each and every item is vetted by Thrive's high standards so you get the highest quality products at the best price. Plus, you can easily shop by diets and values like vegan, keto, low sugar, zero waste, non-GMO, fair trade certified, and around 100 options to sort by. Not only can you find your grocery items in one affordable place, but Thrive Market's fast and free carbon neutral shipping also helps our planet. Doug, I've said it before and I will say it again, Thrive Market's coconut water, for my money, is the very best you can get. It's just, it's just plain old coconut water. They don't put mango puree in there or pineapple puree mm. uh, but even if you Good just get straight up water. and it's like I'm, I'm telling you it tastes like you're drinking one of those those young coconuts you know how they do that they put a straw in the actual thing yep it, it tastes like that it is, it's delicious well uh, what no I was just gonna say I, I have yet to have yet to take you up on your recommendation for uh, the coconut water but I love a good Thrive Market order, I can get so much of the stuff that I would, you know, really, I mean, it prevents me from having to go to the grocery store. You know, I get some produce from the uh, 
from the farmer's market, and I'm set for the day, for the week. Join Thrive Market today and get $80 in free groceries. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash no meat to get $80 in free groceries. That's thrivemarket.com slash no meat. Thrivemarket.com slash no meat. This episode is also brought to you by our very own Compliment Essential Multi-Nutrient, the eight critical hard-to-get nutrients on a plant-based diet all in one place. There's no question the plant-based diet is a nutrient powerhouse. I feel like we always have to say that at the top because it's uh, it's just there. But there's no question. It's almost why we have to say because there's no question. (laughs) (laughs) But no matter but no matter how great it is for your long-term health, no diet is perfect. Even a well-planned plant-based diet can lack a few important nutrients for your health. That's where Complement Essential comes in. They provide the eight hard-to-get nutrients in science-backed, bioavailable amounts all in a simple black capsule you take daily. It includes the nutrients you hear a lot about, like vitamin B12, D3, and your DHA and EPA omega-3s. But we've also added a handful of nutrients that are technically available through plant foods, but most of us aren't getting enough of, like zinc, iodine, K2, magnesium, and selenium. And then that's it. Everything else you're already getting through in abundance through your foods. So we're not a massive multivitamin with just a whole bunch of stuff that you don't actually need because you're getting it through foods. Yep, both- that's right. And we uh, we must also mention that it is now comes in a delicious new mint scent and flavor, compliment, as we like to call it, and to <laughs> me has totally changed the compliment game as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. It's a beautiful little treat to wake up your, your taste buds in the morning. At least it is for me. Compliment Essential now comes with 100% biodegradable packaging and a reusable glass jar with your first order. Learn more at compliment. Learn more about Compliment Essential at lovecompliment.com and use code NOMEAT at checkout to save an additional $10 on your first order. Go to lovecompliment.com and use code NOMEAT to save. All right, Matt, with that, let's, let's get to the interview. Let's get to it. Megan, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. As our audience already knows by now, we have Megan Duhamel uh, on our uh, podcast today. And I'm pretty sure I just mispronounced your name, despite having uh, clarified that (laughs) just moments before. But um, someone who probably needs no introduction because we've all seen you on tv which is super cool um i'm totally a a fanboy at the moment i think the fact that you've won uh, olympic gold medals is just the coolest thing and i uh truly have watched you um compete at uh various olympic games because getting back to your bio you're a two-time world champion figure skater an olympic gold silver and bronze medalist because hey if gold isn't enough, right, you got to add all the other medals to that count. Uh, a seven-time Canadian national champion in pairs skating with your partner, Eric Radford, uh, and obviously have uh, so much more to your life. You're about to give birth to your, your second child through um, vegan pregnancies, and you've studied holistic nutrition. So we're, we're going to get into all of that. Um, but I am just very uh, grateful for you spending a little time with us today and uh, and happy to welcome you to the Nomad Athlete Radio. Thank you so much. Uh, it's so funny to hear all, you know, the list of um, accolades as you introduced me because that feels like it was another lifetime ago. Life has uh, beyond sport, you know, has 
um, really taken center stage as I'm having my second child. And so, yeah, it's, it's always fun to reflect on, on my past professional career. Yeah. So l- let's reflect uh, briefly um, because I, I really want um, our community to be able to hear a little bit of your, your journey said through your own words and I'll let you pick a starting point um, that can be birth. That can be when you were bought your first pair of skates. That's when, you know, or, or, or more recently, um, you know, when you first kind of realized that, Hey, you had a, an opportunity to compete at, at the very, very highest levels of your sport. Um, just love to hear kind of your journey uh, in, in your own words, however long and in depth or short and brief you want to make it. <laughs> okay. Well, I can keep on talking forever. So if I go too long, you can, uh, you can tell me to, to <laughs> be quiet. It's the point of a podcast is, <laughs> is to hear you talk. So I don't think we'll be cutting you off. Please go start, start anywhere um, you like. Yeah. So I'm, I'm from a really small town in Northern Ontario in Canada, just outside of Sudbury. So when I was growing up in my hometown called Lively, Ontario, there was probably not even 2000 people living in my town. Um, but there was about three outdoor rinks and one big uh, indoor arena. And everybody in the community learned to skate, kind of like we learn how to swim. Swimming's a life skill. Um, but everybody in Northern Ontario, they learned to skate. So I was skating on outdoor rinks when I was two and a half, three years old. And my mom registered me in skating lessons when I was three. So I've been skating my entire life. I'm 36 now. I've been skating for as long as I can remember. And it was when I was about seven or eight years old that I remember my my Olympic dream really coming alive. And I would just start telling anybody that would listen to me that one day I was going to go to the Olympics. And I remember my mom sitting down. Um, I had I had pen pals all over the world. Like my school connected us with different schools around the world. And we would write letters to other kids pre-social media in the, in the early nineties. And, um, in my mom had read one of my pen pal letters where I told this girl in Greece that I was going to go to the Olympics one day. And my mom sat down and she was like, you know, I don't think you should be telling people that that sounds really silly. I was just like a kid in this small town. And I was like, no mom, I'm going, I'm going to go to the Olympics. Um, and it was just, this seed had been planted in me and I was so self-driven when I was 14 years old. I told my mom and dad that I needed to move away from home to have more elite training. So I'm, <laughs> I'm in grade nine, like just starting the high school. And um, I announced to my parents that I need to move in the Toronto area, which was a, a bigger city to have elite coaching. So I could go to the Olympics. And of course their answer was no. And I spent the entire summer begging and pleading and coming up with lists and reasons as to why I needed to do that. And I just didn't quit. I just kept on, you know, coming up with reasons why. And I said, if I want to go to the Olympics, this is my chance. I need better coaching. I need better training. And eventually I won. When I was 14, I I moved away from home about three hours um, south from where I lived. I would take the bus back on weekends to visit my parents or my parents would come and pick me up. But I lived with various families for the next eight years throughout my my teenage years. Um, And I was skating, representing Canada at the international level as a junior. So I was traveling the world and getting all these really great opportunities. So we saw the, the sacrifice was paying off because I was getting closer to that ultimate goal, which was to go to the Olympics. When I was skating at the time by myself as a single skater. And um, when I was about 21, I had the opportunity to move to Montreal and skate with a, a 
male skater if I wanted to skate pairs. And he had already been to the Olympics. So I was like, oh my God, here's my ticket. This guy went to the Olympics and now he wants to skate with me. So I packed my bags and I went to Montreal for a one day tryout. And at the end of that, it's kind of like an audition. Like if you can imagine going to a movie audition, they ask you to do a couple of things and then they, they say, okay, you're good enough or you're not good enough. And um, at the end of that little tryout, at the end of the day, the coach and the boy who asked me to do this tryout said, we'd like you to move here. Are you interested? And I was like, okay, I live here now. I just never went back <laughs> home. I just made that decision spontaneously because I saw that as my ticket to get to the Olympics. That was in 2007. Uh, we had a really great opportunity to go to the Olympics in 2010. It fell short due to injuries and various other reasons. Um, we missed the Olympic spot, qualifying the, for the Olympic spot by one place. We finished third at nationals and they only took two. But it was after that, I, I wasn't ready to quit because I had gotten so close. So my partner retired and I found a new partner. That's when I started skating with Eric Radford. And for the next eight years, I found myself climbing up to the, the top of the skating world. And it was amazing experiences. I went to two Olympics in 2014 and 2018. Um, and I can honestly say that I went above and beyond anything I ever thought I could do in my career. I, was, I would have been happy enough just to step foot on the ice at the Olympics. And I ended up winning three Olympic medals. So I, I kind of consider myself a little bit of an overachiever. Um, but I, I do credit that primarily to my, my work habits. Um, I think, I don't think I was the best skater. I don't think I was the best at anything on the ice, like in terms of skating skills, but I can guarantee you, I worked harder than every one of my competitors. And I, I allowed that to be my thing. I was like, you know what? I might not be the most graceful. I might not be the most flexible. I might not be the most consistent. I might not be all of these other things, but I can work harder than them. I can work smarter than them. And maybe if I do that, that'll be my angle to the top. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, and I share a lot. Uh, well, I shouldn't say I share a lot in common with you. I share almost nothing in common with you because, <laughs> uh, I have not won, um, a bronze, silver or gold. Um, but I do definitely pride myself on being willing to work harder than anyone else because, you know, you can't really, um, uh, well, there's no guarantees on, on your intellectual capacity or your physical gifts, right? But the one thing you can control, you know, is your work ethic and the discipline and, and it's tough, right? It's really, really hard. Um, but that is one thing that I pride myself on. So that's just so awesome to hear. And I guess to go back to the beginning and, and then I know we only have a brief moment together, so we'll have to kind of move through the history, uh, quickly. Um, but what, what was it like, wh what do you think it was, I should say, uh, that made you at, I think you said 14 years old, so determined that you were willing to disconnect from the life you knew, the, the family that had cared for, for you and brought you up and willing to kind of just like uproot yourself at, at an age where most of us are just figuring out that like, you know, we still, we have two legs and two arms, right? And, and you already had this vision for what your life was going to be like, where, where did that come from? Was it part of your upbringing? Did you watch the Olympics on TV and like you just, it was inborn. I'm just curious. I think a lot of it was very innate in my, my personality. I'm very determined. My parents 
you know, taught me a really strong work ethic. But the summer that I had decided that that's what I needed to do, I had gone away to train. At the time, my sister was also a skater. My sister's two years older than me. And she had been to nationals. She'd already um, achieved a lot more in her skating career than I had. So my mom and dad sent us to a training camp. I believe it was two weeks. And we went to this big training center just outside of Toronto. And um, we got to train for two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, my sister just wanted to go home and be with her friends <laughs> and have a normal life. And I was like, I, I want more of this. I was hungry for more of that competitive environment. There was skaters wearing their Canada jackets that you get when you get an international assignment. I decided I wanted one of those jackets. Um, so I think a lot of it is, is just my specific personality because my parents gave my sister and I the exact same opportunity. And my sister was already a more advanced athlete and she had no desire to uproot her life, leave her friends, leave her school and, and try to go to the Olympics. But that's what I saw when I went to that training center. I saw world-class athletes and I just wanted to be like them. And I did watch the Olympics as, as a young skater, um, 1994 Olympics, 1998 Olympics, Tara Lipinski and Michelle Kwan were huge inspirations to me. And I just wanted to do everything that they did. So I would almost like study the skaters I watched on TV. And I remember Michelle Kwan, one of the, the greatest American female skaters of all time, if not one of the greatest in the world of all time. Um, she said once in an interview, if you want to be the best at something, you have to study that craft. You have to research it and study it. And I was like, well, if Michelle Kwan is saying that, I have to do it. So I started studying what all the best skaters in the world were doing. And I would try to to do that myself or bring that to my own lifestyle. So it That's was awesome. definitely something innate, like in my crazy personality that made me so driven. And um, of course, like throughout the years as a, as a teenager, I, I said earlier that I was competing all over the world as a junior level skater. And there was a lot of great moments, but I had a lot of failures as well. But every time I was knocked down and I didn't achieve what I wanted to, it just made me more motivated. And, you know, that that happens. It either goes one of two ways when you don't reach your goal. You either mm -hmm. get distant and you don't want to work for it anymore. You get frustrated or it makes you hungrier. And it always made me hungrier when I fell short of my expectations. So I, I, I have to keep probing. And at this rate, we'll never get to uh, uh, the, the end of your story, or I shouldn't <laughs> say end, the, the today of your story. Um, why do you think that was, <laughs> you know, why, why do you think that was there something in your upbringing? Was it, you know, was grit a, a value instilled in your home? You know, did you, did you read a lot of books about that? Did you know that's what it, like, cause they're like you say, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the belief that, uh, you know, the, the, the world happens to you. Right. And you can't, you can't change that. You can't direct it, but you can absolutely control how you react to those circumstances and challenges that do uh, inevitably, you know, that, that you do inevitably confront. So um, I'm curious, like, was there something like in your upbringing that, that you can identify that psychologically just kind of made you more predisposed to, to that challenge? I think a little bit of it was that, um, my sister was a skater. So as a younger sibling, I did want to do everything she did. So at the beginning, that was definitely the driving force. I wanted to be as good as her. I wanted to do what I saw my sister doing. 
Um, my parents did instill very strong work ethic. When you started something, you had to finish it. Um, they were strict in that way, but elite sport was, you know, over their head. I was driving them in the sporting world. They had no idea um, how to steer that ship, but they, they did teach me when you start something, you finish it, um, that you have to work hard and that you never, you never give up until you, you know, get to the end result that you want. And um, I also along the way was able to develop a positivity about that. So I, I've been around a lot of skaters. I've been in the, in the skating world, in the sporting world, 33 years. It's a long time. And, you know, a, a large chunk of that at the elitist level. And I've seen how that drive and determination, it can, it can make you crazy in a lot of ways. Like if I can say that it can make you crazy in the, in the way that you beat yourself up and it becomes more negative and obsessive. Um, for me, it drove me crazy in a more positive and encouraging manner. Um, and I think that because I had that positive twist on whatever came my way and how to recover from whatever came my way, it allowed me to improve at a lot quicker of a pace than, than other people who might take it the other way. And I, I think that that part is just my personality really. Um, so let's fast forward and, uh, well, I do want to ask you about one of the challenges, which, um, please feel free to fact check me. Uh, but, uh, one of the reasons, um, that fueled your interest in health and nutrition was that you were deemed to be too out of shape by Olympic standards. Um, again, this is what the internet says, not me. Um, I think you're wonderful in whatever shape you're in. Um, but, but, uh, that again was one of those challenges that you confronted that instead of, uh, you know, kind of giving up, which obviously is not in your personality, um, you've wanted to focus more on your health and, and that led you into nutrition. I'm, I'm curious if you can expand on that and, and what was the, you know, kind of thread that you pulled on that led you to plant-based nutrition? Because there's a lot of people who just go put more time in the gym, right? Or there's a lot of people who maybe end up in a, keto paleo you know uh cult uh um there's or or of course there's the mainstream you know uh dietary advice that i'm sure you know the olympic committee of canada like the olympic committee in the u.s um is pushing on their uh uh athletes which is super high levels of protein and you know a diversity of these these protein sources, including animals. So I'm just curious if you can kind of unpack that. Um, and again, please fact check uh, if I if my diligence has led me to to uh, a misunderstanding. No, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of different body shapes in all sorts of sports, right? But figure skating, we are a judge sport. We are an aesthetic sport, um, and I'm very short and very stocky and athletic. And that's not generally viewed as the most beautiful in the sport of figure skating. Um, you know, many times I, I spent thousands of dollars on a skating dress only for judges and officials to tell me that it made me look fat. I needed a new dress or it didn't suit my body shape or I looked too square. Um, so, you know, I was always like, my coaches were always really great. They were never, um, 
I never suffered any sort of eating disorder. They were always very positive around it. Just asking me, are you still like working hard off the ice? Are you eating well? Do you need any help? Um, but the main eye opener for me in terms of nutrition, it came in 2007 when I was sent to the national team nutritionist by my coach. Um, obviously my coach was not trained in nutrition. So he sent me to, to more of an expert in the dietary world. And um, I went to see this nutritionist and she recommended to me as training snacks to eat cheese sticks and bear paws, granola bars. And I was, I was like, that was her recommendation. And I was like, wait a second, like, what is a cheese stick going to do to help me? And she was like, it's under two grams of fat. It's under two grams of protein. It's the perfect snack. And I was like, but what, what is it providing me? It's just artificial. There's nothing real in this. I don't even know if there's real cheese in those like cheese strings you pull uh, the sides off of. And I was like, that was, I left that meeting and I was like, that was the weirdest advice. And I'm sure she gave me so much more information, but that stuck with me. And I was like, this makes no sense. How is that going to fuel my body? How is that going to help me recover? Um, so that was the first time my eyes were really opened to, to the nutritional side of being an athlete. Um, in 2007, it wasn't as developed as it is now. Um, not many athletes use nutritionists or spoke about it publicly, but that was my, my first thing. Um, and like everything I did with my career, I was always looking for an edge. I was always looking for how I can improve. My coach said, I'm not flexible enough. I would go and find flexibility coaches around the city of Montreal to help me become more flexible. Um, my coach said I was out of shape. I would sign up for Pilates and hot yoga and do all these other additional workouts to my own training, trying to get myself into better shape. So one day in December, 2008, I was just walking through the airport and I saw this book and it's really funny because this isn't really an educational book. Like to say that this book changed my life is a little silly, but I read a book. I well, I saw a book and I bought it called skinny bitch. And at the time, like a lot of celebrities, I guess, had been reading this. So it kind of like had appeared in some magazines or online, like as something popular. So it was like on the front shelf of the airport bookstore. And I was like, oh, what's this about? So I bought it and it's not a very big book. Um, I read it all when I got home and I woke up the next morning and I was like, I'm going to try to be a vegan. And I also was like, I'm going to try to quit Diet Coke and sugar. <laughs> but uh, actually being vegan was a lot easier than quitting Diet Coke and sugar. That took, Diet Coke took a lot longer. Um, but like anything, I was like, maybe this is going to help my career. I didn't know how at the time. I had no idea how, but I was like, maybe this is going to provide me the edge I need. And maybe this will help me get to the Olympics. So I decided I was going to follow a plant-based diet until the 2010 Olympics. And that was my big introduction. It was completely spontaneous. I woke up, I threw out all the food in my fridge and I was like, oh no, what do I eat now? <laughs> and uh, it was a learning curve. Yeah, it always is. Um, so let's dig a little further into that. Um, your uh, coach and your family and friends and your skating partner, did you get much pushback? Um, did you, you know, kind of have to deal with educating them and rationalizing this decision or did you keep it to yourself? I'm, I'm just curious. Cause obviously, you know, it's one thing if, uh, uh, a single, uh, man or woman in their twenties decides to embrace this lifestyle, right. Um, they have to deal with some issues on Thanksgiving, um, <laughs> when they confront their family about the Turkey, but, uh, but you, I mean, you like, 
and, and to your point, right? Nutrition maybe wasn't what it is today in terms of, you know, being such a, a, a pillar of performance um, or recognized as such, even if it wasn't at that time. Um, but I'm curious, like what, what, what was the social pressure like? Well, my, when I went to the rink and told my coach that this is what I was doing, he was like, you're going to be pale and skinny and sick, just like all those vegans. And I was like, Oh, I don't know any vegans. So I don't know if they're pale and skinny and sick, but I'm <laughs> I, I like how skin complexion worked its way. <laughs> I know it's like, like skin, skinny and sick. You can maybe justify, but the pale and part. Pale, yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty dark skinned. I was like, but his comment actually made me want to do it more and be successful with it. Because I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong that I can be healthy. I can, I can have this lifestyle and be healthy. Um, so my coach was definitely skeptical, but within a few years, he was asking me to give nutrition advice to every skater at the rank that he coached. So it didn't take long for a turnaround in that mindset. My, I don't really remember exactly the reaction of my family, um, but I do remember bringing my casserole dishes everywhere I went. Um, I still do when I go to family gatherings. And most of the time, a lot of people actually wanting to eat the food I brought, um, and that was always the most interesting. I had to start my casserole dish at the first was just a meal for me. And then every time I would go to Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter, I had to bring more food because everybody wanted to eat it. So I think my family was like pretty easygoing about it. I tried not to be super pushy on them. If they had questions or they wanted to learn something, um, I would talk to them about that. But other than that, I kind of like kept it to my own. Like this was my journey. Um, I understood it's not for everybody. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm doing this myself. I'm not here to, to harp on others right now. And I was still learning, you know, I didn't know much at the beginning I was, I was learning. And that's what led me to studying holistic nutrition because I wanted to learn more. So yeah, let's dig in there. Um, did you start that formal education while you were competing or how, how, how did that part of the, the story go? Did you, you know, kind of just dive in and, and figure it out as you went and sort of survived or did you formally begin that, that educational process as, as kind of part of your training while you were still ramping up for the 2014, 2018 Olympics? Yeah, at the beginning in 2008 till 2010, it was really just like me experimenting, um, going to the very few vegan restaurants or vegetarian restaurants or grocery stores that had these things, um, had plant-based foods, which in 2008 was a lot less than it is now. Like now it's, you can find plant-based options almost everywhere you go. In 2008, if, if I didn't get to this specialty grocery store before it closed, I might not have any milk for my cereal, plant-based milk for my cereal in the morning or whatever it was. Um, now you can find, you can find things anywhere. Um, so for the first two years, it was just trial and error. I was learning as I went. Um, and then in 2010, I, after I didn't make the Olympic team and I was like kind of reassessing my life, I decided that I wanted to formally study a little bit more about nutrition. So I did a two-year program with the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition now, it wasn't just um, vegan nutrition or vegetarian nutrition. It was holistic nutrition. So I kind of studied a wide variety of things um, and I loved it. I finished that in 2012 or early 2013. Um, and because I was still in the peak of my career, I didn't, I didn't really get to work in that field, but I used myself as my own guinea pig. 
Um, and I had got a lot of tools and I learned a lot and I was able to educate myself on what foods to eat when. Um, that was the most important thing for me. And one of the things I quickly realized when I became vegan, and this is what kept me on the path, because remember at first I said I had only planned to be plant-based till the 2010 Olympics. But what happened was I started to notice my rate of recovery after training was extraordinary. Like I could have the hardest training session and the next day I was ready to go again right away. And I also ended up having no, none of those like aches and pains and injury type of um, issues that elite athletes, it's just so common in elite athletes. And people would ask me and I was like, no, I have nothing wrong. My body's great. And it took me a little while to connect that with my diet because my skating partner and I, we had the same training schedule, but he could barely get through a training week without crashing. And I was like ready to train an extra day at the end of the week. And the only thing different was what we were fueling our body with. Um, so that's, that really intrigued me. And, um, after I finished my certification with the Canadian school of natural nutrition, I also did a vegetarian nutrition course with Alive Academy which is a, a private school in Vancouver. And that was another two-year program that I did a little bit later. But all of that um, studying was done as I was training and competing at the Olympics. That's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, you really are a go-getter, uh, you know, taking on nutrition uh, education as you're, you know, casually training at the a good Olympics. Balance. I... I don't want to publicly shame anybody, but I have to ask, um, did Eric ever get on board? No, so few people, you know, no one that I ever came across in elite figure skating did, even though they all seem interested and like, no one could they believe yet, that. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. I should say. Um, <laughs> They'll get there. And although like people seemed throughout my career to be baffled to know that I, I had no injuries. I had no aches and pains. I had, I could recover so quickly and I was, you know, training at the elitist level of sport. And I'm the only athlete I knew that could recover like I could. And I would always tell people like what I was eating and what I was eating after training and how I was managing my, my body and my food and my energy and all these things. And I was always like, Oh, that seems so hard. That's what people would say. Um, but it really, for me, it was I'm sorry, these, these are Olympic athletes yeah. that are saying that seems so hard. I mean, that's, well, that's, that's one for the books, really. Well, you should see when you go to the, when I went to the Olympics in 2014 and 2018, you have a 24 hour McDonald's offered to you on, um, at the athletes village. And that's pretty much what these Olympic athletes eat. I, I'm not kidding you. Uh, it's amazing. Fruit loops in the morning and McDonald's uh, dinner. And then they go and compete in their event and um, so little thought into the nutrition and how that could be of benefit to your performance. And I know that's changing now. And I'm really happy to see more athletes interested in how they can use nutrition and plant-based nutrition to fuel their performance. But um, especially at the beginning in 2014, I don't think I met another athlete in Sochi that was plant-based or not that I came across anyway. Wow. Um, gosh, we could dig into that part and we're, we're going to have to have you back on for a deeper dive into, you know, uh, elite sport nutrition. And I'm sure you have a ton of stories and, and look, you know, what, what, what was the famous, uh, um, 
uh phelps totally blanking on his uh first name michael thank you god um i i think then they calculate like his his uh base you know metabolic burn was something like fourteen thousand calories a day on training days right so you can get away with mcdonald's right it doesn't catch up with you i mean that's not to say that your arteries or your brain maybe is is looking as good as the outside um but yeah, it's just it's remarkable what uh, people do and and can pull off at even those elite levels. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about your post sport competition life um, because you know there's a lot more to you than just skating. Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously have one child. You're you're about to give birth next week. I'm so grateful for you making time for this um, and. Uh, uh, a woman after my wife's uh, heart because uh, she was working like literally up until the point of pushing uh, our last <laughs> child out. Because <laughs> um, why not? What else are you going to do? Wait around? Uh, that's exactly. at least our philosophy or her philosophy. I, <laughs> I, I make no decisions in this area. I just just there for the support. Um, anyway, uh, t- tell us a little bit about that transition. What What made you decide to to hang it up after so many years competing. I mean, since you were 14 years old, I mean, obviously you, you had won everything you can win national championships, Olympic medals, each of them. Um, but I'm just curious about the, the psychology and the emotions that went into that decision. Yeah. I mean, probably from 2014 forward. So after my first Olympics, I knew that the next four years would be the end of my chapter as an amateur athlete. Um, there was other things I wanted to do with my life. One of them was having a family. It's something I've always wanted to do, but also as an athlete, you can feel when you're, you're hitting your plateau. And there was a point in 2016, we won our second world title, my partner and I, our second in a row. And I remember going home from that world championships and saying to my husband, and my husband was also my coach. Um, so we had a very unique relationship and I told him, I, I told my husband, it'll never get better than this. We, that was the ultimate performance of a lifetime. And I don't think I can be a better skater than I just was. How can I keep going for two more years to the Olympics when I can't be better than that? Um, and you know, those thoughts kind of, they hindered me a lot for the 2017 season before the 2018 Olympic season. When you think your best is behind you. That's a, that's a troubling place to be. It doesn't matter if that's sport or life. Um, you always have to look ahead. You always want to look ahead and imagine that, you know, there's better things ahead or something greater ahead or special. Um, and it was really scary to me being like, I, even though I'm still competing, I'm never going to be as good as I was. And, um, you know, I really needed to shift that mindset going into the 2018 season and, I didn't have my best skate at the Olympics in 2014. And it was the only thing missing in my career was that Olympic moment. I didn't get it in 2014. I fell during our free skate and I left the Olympics really disappointed, really angry at myself, really. Um, So I used that as my driving force. The last thing, the last piece missing in my skating puzzle was that Olympic moment that I'd watched so many Olympic athletes have where they go to the Olympics and against all odds, they deliver the best performance they can. And they're so happy and elated and proud of themselves. And I use that as my driving force throughout the 2018 Olympic season. 
And as soon as I had that Olympic moment on the ice four times in that Olympics, I competed four times and I was able to have four amazing Olympic moments. Um, I got off the ice and I knew that I, I knew like deep in my soul that that was, that was it. There was nothing else I needed from this sport competitively. Um, I was satisfied. I was really happy. The world championships were in one month. And I remember sitting at the press conference and somebody asking my partner and I, are you going to the world championships in one month? And we'd never discussed it with each other, but both of us said no right away. Uh. Um, Not because we didn't love what we were doing, but we just, we had that satisfaction of, I did everything I wanted to do and more. So for me, it was quite a simple and natural transition. I, and I know that that's not the case for a lot of athletes, but it really was for me. I was ready. I always had a lot of balance in my life. I was studying nutrition as I was skating. I was married already. Um, I had gotten into rescuing dogs and working with a couple of organizations like that. And I was ready for the next chapter. So it was, it was quite smooth. Um, in figure skating, we're pretty lucky because we do have a professional side to our sport. We, my partner and I traveled around in, around the world for many years doing shows and tours and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so I was looking forward to doing that for the next few years, but of course, COVID <laughs> interrupted those plans and, uh, skating shows had, had shut down and I had my first child and now I'm having another one. So I think professional skating is, is behind me now and I'm okay with that. Um, it, it sounds like there's a lot of reasons to be okay with that because it's an amazing, um, work that, that you've begun and, uh, I, I do so much want to dig uh, further into um, all of this. Uh, I know we have to uh, wrap up here in a moment. So um, if there's one thing to leave with our community who is listening, um, what would that be? One, one message uh, that, that you hope that they'll remember from this conversation You know, I don't know if this is along the lines of what you're looking for, but one piece of like, I guess, advice or inspiration um, that I like to share with others. And it's a a little bit cliche, but we always hear um, people say to enjoy the the journey. It's not all about the destination. It's about the journey. And I I touched on um, the positive, crazy obsession I had with skating for my entire life. But when I made it to the ultimate destination and I was standing on the Olympic podium, not once, not twice, but three times, um, when I was at that moment, at the ultimate destination, all I was thinking of was the journey. So let me share that if that journey had not been incredible and fun and um, encouraging and surrounded by great people, that moment on the podium thinking of my journey would have been miserable. It would have been miserable. So for me, that's the most important thing that I I always try to share with people is that I made it to the ultimate destination. I did it. And once I got there, the only thing that was in my head or the only thing that mattered was the journey that I took to get there. And I'm so grateful for the people I was surrounded by in my skating career. I was surrounded by a lot of really great people, supportive people. Um, And I'm really happy that I was able to take on the world of, of elite sport and figure skating was such a positive spin because I know that that's, that's really hard to do when you're, you're in the middle of elite sport. 
Yeah, I can only imagine uh, uh, a lifestyle, uh, obviously a sport that is so oriented around those those moments, right? Like, you know, an entire year, an entire lifetime can go into training for that one performance that you do, you know, to win a gold medal at uh, an Olympic Games. Um, I can imagine it's very, very difficult to enjoy the journey when it's so outcome oriented. But um, with that, uh, th thank you for sharing your story, um, Megan. And thank you so much for, for those words of wisdom. It's something that I know we can all try to do a little bit better every day. Um, where, where can folks find you if they want to learn more about you or connect with you or just follow this, uh, this lifetime post sport? Yeah, um, I'm on I'm on Instagram at Megan Duhamel. So it's just my name, M-E-A-G-A-N-D-U-H-A-M-E-L. I also have a, like a little vegan lifestyle blog, Instagram page that um, I try to share. I don't have time that much with, with a two-year-old, but I try to share as much recipes and um, you know, tips for nutrition for athletes. And it's called Lutz of Greens. So Lutz is a skating jump that um, <laughs> my partner and I, it really propelled my partner and I to be the best. We were the only team in the world to do it. So it's my, that's my little play on words. So it's Lutz, L-U-T-Z of Greens. And that's my, my Instagram page for that. Awesome. Um, I did pick up on the Lutz of Greens. Very clever. <laughs> um, Megan, thank you again so much for spending time. Uh, I hope you enjoy, good luck, whatever is appropriate to say before um, childbirth. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it'll be a beautiful moment uh, for you and your family, and I'll be thinking about you next week. And anytime you want to come back to do a deep dive into any of these topics, um, there are certainly hours more for us to discuss. So th thank you again so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a really good day as well. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks.